Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. you are coming to join us for our She Collective Night because I'm telling you, we are going to have so much fun and more than just have fun, I actually really believe that that God's just put this message in my heart for you specifically. So I'm asking you to invite your girlfriends. Tickets are only $5 a piece and I'm asking you to invite your girlfriends, every person you know, and get them there. The pre-party starts at 6.30 p.m. and we've got some fun plans for you for that and I'm just telling you, we're gonna have a great time together. And that video was probably the fourth best day of my entire life. The first best day was marrying that good-looking man on the front row. And then, then two and three, I had two amazing, beautiful daughters. And four, I got to lay in a pile of confetti. I made confetti angels. It was one of the best days of my whole life. I'm telling you, it just made everything amazing. So we won't have that much confetti at She Collective. Um, I've been banned from confetti. So apparently it just takes too long to clean up. But I think confetti makes things fun. So I'm telling you, we've got other things planned. So I hope all of you girls will um, just plan to come out and join us because we're going to have a great time together. But I get to today unpack part three of the series that we've been in for the past couple weeks called The Table. And the table is set. And I'm just really excited to get to share with you today because as I was studying for this message, I just felt like there were so many things uh, that just lined up with stuff that God has been doing in my heart recently. And so I'm excited to get to share with you today. And if you've missed any of this series, I want to encourage you, go and listen to the podcast because every single week has really been so good. And I'm telling you, a series is kind of like a good book. And so you're coming in at chapter three here. And I'm just telling you, you're not gonna wanna miss what happened earlier. And uh, this whole series is based out of the book of 2 Samuel, chapter nine, verse three. And we're gonna read that this morning. And it says this, the king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Well, where is he? The king asked Ziba. He's at the house of Machir, son of Emil in Lodavar. So King David had him brought from Lodavar from the house of Machir, son of Emil. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth? At your service, he replied. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all of the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always have a seat at my table. And this this, at this, Mephibosheth, he bowed down and he said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? So here's Mephibosheth, and he's being offered a seat at the king's table, which really for all of us is just this understanding that there is a place where he belongs. 
And really, this whole story is, is summing up, it's, it's kind of coming in on the tail end of 60 years of history that's been happen, happening in Israel. And if you were here for Easter, week one of this series, Pastor Kerry unpacked 60 years of Israel's history in 60 seconds, and it was amazing. So how many of you, that, that maybe you were here, or maybe you weren't here and you really want to see this happen. How many of you think that Pastor Kerry should come up here and do it again? Anybody? Come on. So Pastor Kerry, come on. Come on up here. We need, you to, we need you to bring us up to speed on what is happening with Mephibosheth. 60 years of Israel's... I want to just preach. Is that okay? How many think? No, I'm kidding. All right, 60 years of Israel's history. Go ahead, get your phones out. If I see Insta stories and you get my bad angle, I'm going to be angry, okay? I'm going to tell you that right now. 60 years of Israel's history in 60 seconds. Everyone take a deep breath. And here we go. So Israel wanted a king, and they were like, God, give us a king. Everybody else has a king. And God was like, you don't need a king. You've got me. And they kept whining and complaining like children do. So God decided to give them a king anyways. Enter King Saul, Israel's first king. Now, Saul had a son named Jonathan, and he and his children were the rightful heirs to the throne. Jonathan had a best friend named David. And you all know David because David killed Goliath. Now, here's the problem. Saul rejected God, and God was like, you don't longer get the kingdom deuces and now David is going to become king but before David became king Saul and Jonathan were surrounded by some bad guys everybody say "Ah!" and then Saul and his son Jonathan were killed everyone say "Ah!" then after this David becomes king and years later he has this idea bing hey is there anyone descendants from Saul or Jonathan after his father Saul and they were like yep there's this one dude but he's lame or paralyzed and his name is Mephibosheth and David was like how did that happen and they were like get this when he was a baby his nanny heard about Saul and Jonathan's death and she did not want the past repeated and the baby to be killed so she freaked out and she ran she ran so far away but in her haste she dropped the baby Mephibosheth Mephibosheth and now he's paralyzed he can't walk and David said go get him and tell him I have a seat for him at my table and there it is 60 years of Israel's history in 60 seconds let's give him a hand So good. So now you should be caught up to speed about what is happening with Mephibosheth. And our goal for this series is twofold. First, we want you to recognize that God is positioning you in places that you do not deserve. God is positioning you in places you do not deserve. He's opened doors and a future that you could not have without him, right? And so this seat that was offered to Mephibosheth it, it had nothing to do with what he'd done. Listen, the first week Pastor Kerry unpacked that your seat is searching for you. Your seat is searching for you. It's secure. There is nothing you can do to earn a place at the table, but you do have to choose whether or not to sit down. You see, Mephibosheth, he couldn't do anything to earn a seat at the king's table. It had nothing to do with his talent. It had nothing to do with his skill. It had nothing to do with saying things the right way. It had everything to do with his father, Jonathan. And the same story is true for us today. You see, God created a place at his table for us through the saving grace of Jesus. And Jesus died so that we 
could experience life at its fullest, life at its fullest available to us. And this seat is ours, but we have got to choose to receive it. It's this choice to say, okay, I receive the grace of God. And then when we receive it, we're invited in to the fullness of all that God has for us. And the second goal of this series is to remove any hesitation or hindrance, to remove any hesitation or hindrance that would hold you back from stepping into all that God has for you. Last week, Pastor Kerry preached such a good message called, Don't Hesitate. Don't Hesitate. Maybe you're here today with us and, and you're not sure yet what you believe. And we would always say at the Movement Church, permission to belong before you believe. But regardless, when God opens a door for you, if you hesitate, you can miss it. There are opportunities that we can miss. Salvation is eternal. What that means is when we receive the free gift of God, the grace of Jesus, when we receive that, there's nothing we can do to earn it, and it is always and eternally available for us. But God opportunities are not. God opportunities are not. And today, what I want to unpack for you is a message called, It's an Inside Job. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's an inside job. Turn to your next choice and say, it's an inside job. You guys love it when we do that, don't you? You're like, oh, I have to talk to people again? Gosh. <laughs> it's an inside job. That's what we're going to unpack today. You know, my husband, um, he, I don't know if you know this about him or not, but he's very uh, opinionated. We all are. <laughs> we're all very opinionated, right? But, but you will always know what Pastor Kerry is thinking because he'll always share it with you. Graciously, graciously, babe. But one of Pastor Kerry's largest pet peeves, one of his greatest pet peeves, is people who chew with their mouth open. In fact, at my dinner table, every single night, since my children had teeth, I'm telling you, since like the first teeth came in, every single night at dinner, he's correcting them, close your mouth. How many times do I have to say it again, Avery? Close your mouth, right? Because he's trying to train her to become a lady. We, we are hoping that they will get married someday. So we're trying to train them. And so I, all I know is that there's two kinds of people in the world, right? Those who eat like wild animals and those who want to shoot the wild animals, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I imagine this uh, picture from a movie. Maybe you've seen Beauty and the Beast. And when Belle arrives and she's at the castle and they sit down at this big table and all of the fine china is out and, and the beast has got all of this like amazing gourmet food in front of him and he just goes to town. Like he's just ripping into the steak with his teeth and slurping the soup. And Belle is like, <clears throat> and she's teaching him how to hold the teacup properly and to drink properly because this is a proper royal table that they are at, Right. And I just imagine that Mephibosheth, he had not been at the king's table since he was five years old. And the Bible says that when Mephibosheth showed up, David didn't even recognize him. His hair was probably unkept and matted. His fingernails were probably dirty. He probably smelled like Lodavar. And, and he was going to have to relearn what it was like to belong to royalty. 
He was going to have to relearn what it was like to sit at the royal table, to eat properly, to conduct himself properly. But I just want to tell you today that what looks like an outside cleanup is actually an inside job. What looks like an outside cleanup is actually an inside job. You see, Mephibosheth, he had been living as a victim. He had been living as a victim in a place where you go when you don't want to be found. Lodvar was this place where people would go when they didn't want anyone to find them. So this was the status of every single person who was in Lodvar. Everyone that he had a relationship in, with in Lodvar was there for the same reason. They were maybe hiding from pain or dealing with rejection or loss or abandonment or fear. You get the picture. That's why they were there. And have you ever noticed how it can be easier to settle for relationships with people who identify with your pain or insecurity? Relationships with people who just affirm your identity because you have something in common but don't actually challenge you to get better. You know, the friends that you have that you can talk about how you feel like you don't fit in or you feel like people are just always rejecting you or the friends that just kind of sympathize with you when you're struggling with all your pain or your feelings of loss, but they're not actually challenging you to get better. I just imagine these were the friends that Mephibosheth had in Lodvar. And I just want to tell you, maybe you've heard the quote before, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. The Bible says that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Listen, if you've got people in your life who are always just sympathizing with your pain and your insecurity and your fears and your problems, and they're not ever challenging you to get better, I'm just telling you they may not be a real friend because a friend is gonna always challenge you to move forward into your best, the best that God has for you, right? So here's Mephibosheth, and he's developed a victim mentality. And maybe some of us can relate. Maybe we find ourselves constantly viewing life through the filter of our past. That thing that was done to us, the, the pain of loss, the pain of rejection or abandonment, or that unfair situation that happened that just shouldn't have happened. And some of us, I think, I think some of us, we live there. We like to talk about it a lot. Woe is me. I lived in Lodvar. Woe is me. And we romanticize the pain of the past to make some kind of connection with people. And it's not doing us any good. Yeah. Or maybe there's some of us in the room who we just make light of the past and we refuse to talk about it. We just ignore the things that have happened. Oh yeah, I made it through that. I turned out okay. And have you ever noticed how we make light of things that are somehow too painful to acknowledge? You see, for Mephibosheth, this victim mentality had become his way of life. It had become his worldview. And the thing is, he didn't have to change that mentality in order for him to take a seat at the king's table. The seat was his. It was his because of what his father had done for him. It was fully available to him. He didn't have to get everything together first. He could take a seat at the table, even with that old mentality. But to enjoy this new position, to enjoy this seat of royalty, to walk in the fullness of all that was available to him, he had to learn to walk in a position of royalty and not to operate from a victim mentality. 
And we've got to do the same thing. We've got to do the same thing. So how do I know if I might be struggling viewing life through a victim mentality? I might be operating from a victim mentality instead of a son or a daughter whose seat is secure if I receive correction as a personal attack. I might be operating from a victim mentality if I am a workaholic or if I'm passive and I lack an internal drive. I might be operating from that mentality if I struggle to trust people, if I often feel overlooked or I'm easily offended. I'm constantly fearful that at any minute something's going to go terribly wrong and the bad news is going to come. I have a great mistrust for those in authority. I might be operating from a victim mentality if I'm constantly comparing myself to others in every way or if I constantly feel that my life is unfair and others have it so much better or so much easier. And I just imagine that Mephibosheth, he dealt with these same kind of feelings. You see, he had to relearn what it looked like to become royalty. And I'm sure he got cleaned up on the outside, right? I'm sure he took a shower or a bath, whatever they did in those days. I'm sure they trimmed his hair and got his nails clean. I'm sure they got him some royal robes. And when he came to the table, he had the appearance of royalty. But he had to do the work of an inside job. And can you imagine the feelings of insecurity that he must have had to battle every single day that he came to the king's table? Morning, noon, and night, every single time he came to the king's table? You see, last week, Pastor Kerry talked about not hesitating. He reminded us that God is going to open doors of God-sized opportunities in front of us, opportunities for us to step into the fullness of all that God created us for, to walk in purpose. But I just want to tell you, church, that you need to know, with every God-sized opportunity, there is a giant-sized opposition. With every God-sized opportunity, there is a giant-sized opposition. Where there's advancement, there is adversity. And it may feel like it has everything to do with people. And it may feel like it has everything to do with circumstances. But often, the battle that we have to fight is internal. 2 Corinthians 6.11 says, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter these wide-open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from where? From within you. From within you. Listen, your lives aren't small, but you're living them in small ways. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Listen, I believe that this is the kind of life that Christ made available to us as a Christ follower, a wide open, spacious life where we can walk in the fullness of all that God has for us. But first, we've got to be able to do the inside job. It's an inside job. So what are some of the keys to the inside job? Number one, somebody say, slay insecurity. Okay, this has kind of been a motto for me for 2018. We at the Movement Church are determined. We're going to slay insecurity. Slay for those of you like, that are trying to follow along. And we're going to kill insecurity, all right? We're going to kill it. I've had the privilege to be seated at tables that I don't deserve to be at. And 
I can't even go into all the stories, but I can literally stand here on this platform and vividly picture the moments where I have been in rooms with people in places where I did not deserve to be. And as I stood in those rooms, I had to make a choice because let me tell you, every single time that I was there, these are with people that I highly look up to who have accomplished so much with their lives. And as I've stood in those rooms, I literally have had to stand there and think, don't go to the restroom. You do not need to leave. You're you're here for a reason. And everything inside of me battles insecurity. Everything inside of me battles this feeling of, I don't belong here. I've not accomplished what any of these people have accomplished. Comparison begins to become the loudest soundtrack in my mind. I begin to wonder, what am I even going to say in this environment? And some of you are like, you, Megan, you talk to everybody. I'm telling you, I battle the same things that anybody else does. And I've been in these places where I thought, I don't belong here. And I don't even know what to do with myself. And I just imagine the Mephibosheth. When he came to the king's table, that he was dealing with some of these same kinds of insecurities, just wondering, what are people going to think about me when they realize who I really am? What are people going to think about me when they realize that I'm Jonathan's son? What are people going to think when they realize I can't even walk myself up to this table? Someone has to carry me in and set me here. What are they going to think about me? I imagine Mephibosheth had to deal with these insecurities every single time he came to the table. And then I just bet that anytime anyone would say anything to him, he'd have that question going off on the inside. Well, what do they really mean by that? Can anybody relate? What do they actually mean by that? Or do they just feel sorry for me? That question that's going through his mind. Or anytime somebody said, could you pass the potatoes? I wonder if he just thought, they're just waiting for me to fail, to drop it. I don't know what Mephibosheth was thinking, but I imagine these are some of the thoughts that went through his mind. And anytime someone would get up from the table to go and sit somewhere else, I just wonder if he immediately thought, they don't like me. That I must still smell like Lodvar. I, I just imagine that there was these feelings going through his mind, similar to the feelings of, why didn't they text me back? Do they just not even care about me? They must not want to actually be my friend. Or or why, why did they say it like that? What are they really trying to say when they're inviting me to come over? Do they want to tell me something that's going to be really bad news? I just imagine Mephibosheth was battling some of the lies and insecurities that many of us face on a daily basis. And he could have approached it with this timid response. He might have just decided to be really quiet, to fly under the radar and hope that nobody noticed him, to not say anything, to just be really still and not draw attention to himself. And maybe that's how you choose to handle some of the insecurities that you might be facing. Or maybe he was edgy and judgmental, assuming that everyone's actions had something to do with him. You see, insecurity begins with an I, and properly so. Because insecurity is completely self-absorbed. Insecurity is completely self-absorbed. It's completely driven by me trying to find my security in myself. And I'm just telling you, our security has got to come from God and God alone. It's got to come from God and God alone. Listen, insecurity is actually an insult to our creator. I'm going to say that again because I don't know if we actually realize that that's true. Insecurity is an insult to our creator. 
And the insult of insecurity is refusing to see myself the way God sees me. The insult of insecurity is refusing to see myself the way that God sees me. You see, our confidence and our security has got to come from what God says about me. It's got to come from what God says about me. I've got to walk in this confidence of my calling. And do you know how I can walk in that? Because Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans for a hope and a future. Because Ephesians 2, 10 says, I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for me to do. We've got to walk in confidence of our design because Psalm 139 says, I am fearful and wonderfully made. Every single day of my life was ordained before I was even born. God had a plan for me. We've got to walk in confidence that we belong. We belong here. Why? Because Romans 8 says, I am a child of God. Listen, we have got to begin to walk in the confidence of who God says we are and stop battling the insecurities of who I think I am. We got to walk in the confidence that God is my strength, that he is my peace, that he has freed me from my past, that he is my healer. And this, when we get this, this is what gives us confidence in every relationship that we have. We can walk in confidence in the relationships that we have when we walk in the confidence knowing that I am who God says I am. Listen, confidence is attractive. And confidence is inspiring, but I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Confidence is only attractive to confident people. It's intimidating to people who battle insecurity. It's intimidating to people who battle insecurity. You know, my daughter is doing a musical, and it's called the, it's the Shrek musical. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it, but she's doing the Shrek musical in June. And so they gave her this CD, which I didn't even know you still listen to CDs anymore. <laughs> and the only place we can listen to the CD is in my car. So, so we got the CD in the car. And every single time we're in the car, we are listening to the Shrek CD. Every single time I get in the car with my daughter, we listen to the Shrek musical. But She's got it down now. So it's not just in the car. It's in the shower. It's in the living room. It's when she's walking the dog. It's when she's going to bed. She is singing the songs. There's a princess in a tower. Oh my gosh, she's just like me. Poor Rapunzel needs a haircut. I'll stop. I'll stop. But listen, she has been rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing this musical. And you know what? When she gets up there to perform in June, she's going to have it down because she has been rehearsing it over and over and over again. And I just want to tell you, you've got to stop rehearsing what you think about yourself and start rehearsing what God says about you. If you haven't already texted notes to the number that goes on our screen, you, we use it all the time. My goodness. If you haven't already texted notes, in those notes, I put the 40 I am statements that Pastor Kerry had in his message last week. And if you haven't downloaded those 40 I am statements, I'm telling you, you need them. Yeah. 
You know why? Because you need to learn them. You need to begin to rehearse them like Avery rehearses the Shrek musical. You be, need to begin to know what God says about you and stop rehearsing what you think about yourself. Start rehearsing what God says about you. I am the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I am more than a conqueror. I'm forgiven. I'm set free. I'm a child of God. I've got to begin to rehearse what God says about me so I can slay insecurity and begin to walk in the confidence of the calling that he has placed me here for. And listen, confidence is not arrogance. Confidence is not arrogance. And that takes me to the second point of the inside job. The second thing we've got to do to do the work of the inside job is we've got to learn to walk humbly. Walk humbly. Slay insecurity. Walk humbly. And another way to explain this is be teachable. Be teachable. Hey, look at me, church. You've not arrived yet. <laughs> and neither have I. Okay? There is always something to be learned. Yep. And can you just imagine Mephibosheth? For the, for the first few weeks of showing up at the king's table, when the food came out, I mean, I'm telling you, he had not eaten food like this in Lodvar. And I can just imagine Mephibosheth, the first few times the food came out, just being one of those wild animals stuffing his face, like stuffing his face with food, slurping the soup, whatever it took. And I'm sure people were patient with him for a moment, but then people began to... <clears throat> <clears throat> and then finally, somebody began to give him instruction, right? And he had to endure constant instruction as he was relearning to be royalty, as he was relearning what it looked like to be a son. You see, there was another woman in the Bible. Her name was Esther. And Esther actually went through one full year of etiquette training and beauty treatments until she was fit to be in the king's presence. And aren't you glad that God accepts us into his presence immediately. We don't have to get it all together first, but then we've got to learn what it's like to live in his presence. We've got to learn what it's like to have a seat at the table. And change is uncomfortable, and change can be challenging. Hebrews 12, 11 through 13 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Isn't that the truth? But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And then it says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. See, God wants you to walk in the fullness of all that he has for you and the fullness of what it is like to live in his presence. But I'm telling you, with that is going to come some discipline. And if you remember, the victim mentality sees correction as a personal attack. It's that old insecurity saying, you think I'm not good enough. Wow. Or who are you to tell me to change? And we've got to understand that without relearning to be royalty, we will always get the results of rejection. Without relearning to be royalty, we will always get the results of rejection. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16, this is Paul talking. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. 
but to admonish you as my beloved children, because though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you then to be imitators of me. Listen, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he's going, listen, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul is bringing some instruction here to the Corinthian church. And this is one reason we consider church to be a family. Listen, every single one of us in this room, we are always growing. We never arrive. But there are mothers and fathers in this church, pastors, connect group leaders, team captains who are leading and they're going, listen, I'm doing my best to follow Christ. So imitate me as I imitate Christ. And they're bringing instruction and bringing correction. But have you ever noticed that we will flock to people who don't know us and can't correct us? We'll talk to people all day long that can just sympathize with us. But the moment that somebody comes in to bring correction and go, no, you know what? You can't keep acting like that. We're like, we reject the spiritual fathers and mothers that God actually put in our lives. You know, just recently I was sitting at uh, lunch with my husband and one of my pastors. And uh, Pastor Kerry was painting a vivid story of some things that were going on, and I was biting my tongue and sitting very quietly so that I didn't argue with him in front of my pastor. <laughs> he was really relieved about that. And I'm sitting, and I'm sitting, and I'm sitting, and here's my problem, if anybody knows me. I just can't keep my mouth shut. And so I sat for a while, and then I, you know, and, and you can read me. So, like, everyone can feel my body language is getting frustrated as I'm, like, like coming out of my seat. And so... I'm like waiting and waiting, and then finally I just, and I take a deep breath, and I start to go into all the reasons that, that he's wrong and what he's sharing is not right. And my pastor literally just put her hand right up in front of my face and then kind of came down and patted my leg, and I was like, Amen. <laughs> he was so happy. He was so happy in that moment. And I'll tell you what, it was so frustrating because I had something to say. I had something to say, and I very well might have been right. But what she was teaching me in that moment was, no, you need to just be quiet for a minute. And I've allowed her permission into my life to do that. I'm telling you, you've got to give people permission to speak into your life. How would you respond if somebody did that to you? You're having an argument with your husband if one of the pastors or leaders here just put their hand up in your face and kind of said, settle down. Would you be like, who are you to tell me how to act? You might be, I don't know. You got to give people permission to speak into your life and not get defensive when they do. Sometimes I'm feeling emotional and I'm feeling frustrated and I just want to vent about something. And there's been days where I've been talking to Pastor Kerry and I've just been angry and I'm just telling him all the things I'm angry about. And he'll say, hey, you know what? We need to change the conversation. We just need to change the environment because this is not necessarily a good environment right now. Oh my gosh, it makes me so mad. <laughs> but he's so right. And you've got to allow people into your life who are going to correct you. Every single one of us needs that. In fact, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 3 talks about a pastor or a leader in the church. And it says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And do you know what it tells them to do? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And you're like, what right do they have to talk to me about my personal life? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That's the role of a leader and a pastor. The Bible says it. I didn't make it up. That's in 2 Timothy. And listen, what does that mean? It's talking about bringing criticism, bringing correction, and bringing encouragement. 
bring an encouragement with complete patience and teaching. And then it says this, for a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears to accumulate for themselves the teachers that suit their own passions and their own will and to turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the generation we live in. People looking for people just to tell them what they want to hear and not willing to be confronted with the truth. Listen, it's an inside job. We gotta slay insecurity. We've gotta learn to walk humbly. And number three, don't just change your clothes. Don't just change your clothes. Listen, I'm sure the band can go ahead and come. I'm sure Mephibosheth was given some new clothes to fit his new position, right? I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was bathed and he had his hair and his nails trimmed and I'm sure he was made to look like royalty. But don't forget, this is an inside job. You can clean yourself up in an effort to fit in. You can show up at church. You can serve on a team. You can give. You can join a connect group. These are good things. They're good things. But I want to tell you, church, they're not the main thing. This series is all about the fact that God created a place for you at the table, that you are chosen, you are loved, you are forgiven, you belong here. You don't have to get cleaned up first. You don't have to get things in order first to receive the free gift of God, which is salvation. But God actually wants for you to walk in the fullness of all that he has for you. To not let anything limit you from the plans that he has for you. And what God wants so much more than your appearance. So much more than just looking good in a time of worship and maybe, maybe raising my hands and squinting my eyes. More than just the appearance. And these are, these are good things. They're acts of worship. But God's not concerned about appearance. He's not concerned about our actions. He's concerned about our heart. You know, when David was anointed king, there were so many other choices that Samuel thought was going to be it before him. And God spoke to Samuel and said this, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. People, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. The Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. You got to change more than just your clothes. God wants your heart. And when you begin to fall in love with Jesus, everything else begins to fall into place. It's like when I got married almost 17 years ago, I started to learn the nature of who Pastor Carrie is. And I don't get it right all the time, but there's some things I know about him and, and I love him and he hates to come home with the TV blaring and chaos in the house. And so I do my best if I'm home before him to make sure that the atmosphere is peaceful. Why? Because I love him because I love him. I've learned his nature, and, and God wants us to learn his nature, to fall in love with him. He wants our heart more than our actions or our appearance. Romans 12, 2 says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. Listen, God is not concerned about behavior modification. He is interested in a healed heart. And this happens through the Word of God, through godly relationships. Connect groups are about to start, you guys. 
What better place to develop godly relationships are going to challenge and encourage you? It happens through his Holy Spirit. So I want to tell you there's a seat at the table for you. Don't hesitate to sit down. Don't hesitate to sit down. But listen, church, could we do the work of the inside job? Could we do the work of the inside job? Slay insecurity. Learn to walk humbly. And don't just change your clothes. Let God have your heart. Could I pray for us this morning? I just want to pray for those of us who might be struggling with insecurity. And I want to pray that God's going to begin to help you walk in the confidence of who he's called you to be. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a moment between you and God. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus for every single man, woman, teenager in the room today. God, there's, there's certain parts of today's message that I know spoke directly to specific individuals. God, I just pray that right now in this moment, God, that every person in this room would know that you love them, that you're not, you're not a, a mean, heavy-handed father just waiting to correct them, but God, you lovingly come in and help us to become better. God, that you lovingly come in and you teach us and you correct us and you help us figure out what areas of our life need to be adjusted. God, would you help every single person in this room who's battling the lies of the enemy and the insecurities and the fears and the, the frustrations and the, just feelings of rejection. God, would you help them to know, God, today they are exactly who you say they are. God, that they are a child of God, that they are called, that they were created with a purpose. God, they're designed with a unique destiny, Lord Jesus, and you want them to walk in the fullness of it. So God, would you remind them of who you say that they are? Would you help us deal with any pride in our heart that's keeping us from you? God, help us fall more in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. If I could just have your attention for just one more moment that we have together. You know, there's somebody here today, maybe there's more than one of you, that you've never made a decision to actually give God your heart, to actually take that seat at the table. You see, this is something that happens in a moment. We've kind of unpacked it throughout the day that the free gift of God available to you and to me is a place at the table. He made a way for us to have relationship with him when he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin. It's this free gift, and we don't have to get our lives fully together first. It's a free gift of salvation, but we do have to make a decision to receive it. We do have to make a decision to sit down. So the price has been paid, but the decision is yours. And I just want to tell you, for somebody in the room today, today's the day. Don't leave without making a decision to surrender your heart to God. That really just means I'm surrendering control. I'm going to make a decision today to let God be in control. And I want to pray for you. And maybe you prayed that prayer a long time ago, and you've just been running from God, and today's the day to come back. Or maybe this is a first for you. I don't know, but I want to pray for you specifically. So I'm going to ask everyone in this room just to close your eyes and bow your heads for just one more moment. And if you're here today and you need to pray that prayer with me today, in your own heart and in your own mind, would you just pray with me? You don't have to get out of your seat and you don't have to speak out loud. Just make this between you and God. This simple prayer, dear God, I know that I've sinned. I know I don't have it all together. 
But I believe that you gave your son Jesus to pay the price for my sin. And I ask you to forgive me. And today, all over this room, if that's you and this is the decision you need to make, would you just let these words be the cry of your heart? Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Please email us at info at theocmovement.com. And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at theocmovement.com. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.